All right, well, uh, good morning. All right, a few of us are up and about, right? My name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, if you're new, welcome. Free coffee. If you've been with us for the past couple of months, welcome again. Uh, so 2018 is here, and uh, that's pretty rad. And we're going to talk about 2018 uh, this, this morning. But before I, I jump into that and we talk a little bit about 2018, uh, man, uh, he's not here today, but I'm sure he's going to listen into this, uh, this sermon later on. Uh, man, can we just give a big hand to Sean Penny who preached last week? He did such a great job. I was incredibly encouraged. I love seeing him up here uh, doing his thing. Uh, Sean, if, if you have not met him, he... Uh, every Every once in a while comes up here and does announcements. He also leads our student ministry and is involved with our membership process and a ton of other behind the scene, uh, behind the scenes things. And so Sean did a wonderful job. You'll see him up here again in the future. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, today we're going to find ourselves, interestingly enough, we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 115 verse 1. However, as you go ahead and open your Bible or load your Bible, we're actually not necessarily going to start there. But this psalm, this verse is going to encompass our time. It's going to be at the heart of what we're going to talk about. And it's ultimately going to be the, the, the climatic part of our time this morning. And so you can have that and you can put that in the back burner. But Psalm 115.1 is ultimately going to be uh, the vehicle that carries us. But in the midst of all the traveling that we'll be doing today, so to speak. We're going to be bouncing around from scripture to scripture uh, in an effort to best emphasize and elaborate some of the things that we got coming up uh, this, this morning. But Psalm 115 verse 1 is where we'll find ourselves. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and uh, I'm going to read Psalm 115.1, even though we're not going to start there, but ultimately it's what's going to be what carries us. I'm going to start there and then I'll pray and then... Uh, you know, we'll do some stuff, right? We'll, we'll, we'll do stuff. All right, here we go. Uh, this is Psalm 115, verse 1. And so the psalmist writes, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Join me in prayer. Lord, as we begin our time this morning, uh, we simply begin by saying thank you. Thank you for allowing us to gather uh, to, to worship and praise your name. Father, I pray that hearts are prepared to receive your word. I pray that hearts are receptive uh, for transformation in light of your word. Lord, I pray that I would be cast aside and ultimately that you would be the one who speaks uh, through me, that you would be the one that receives all of the glory and that your fame would be made great this morning. And so we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Normally I walk around a lot and I'm, I'm going to do that still, uh, I'm gonna, but I'm going to try and stand still. It's a, it's a 2018 goal of mine um, and I, I am failing. So... 
before we jump into Psalm 115, and before we even begin to talk about a little bit about 2018, which is essentially what we're going to be talking about today, right? Today is a, it's a, it's a standalone sermon. And what I mean by that is that we're just going to address one thing. And today's sermon, the title of it is, is The Church and His Glory. And, and, and before I dive into that, and before I unpack what that means and what we see in Scripture in light of that title, I think it is a appropriate that we briefly look back at 2017 and just walk through a few things that we saw God do in his faithfulness in and through our church. 2017 had its challenges and there were moments where uh, it was filled with stress and doubt many times. Uh, yet, as I look back at 2017, and as I was thinking about it this week, and as I was encouraged by a friend, uh, ultimately, in the midst of doubt and stress and not sure what's going to happen and how things are going to roll out, what I was comforted by was the fact that not at any point was God stressed by any of it. You know what I'm saying? I was freaking out. I'm going to be honest up here, right? I was freaking out at many times. I was stressed. You could ask some of the guys. I wasn't sure what was going to happen and how things were going to be, uh, yet I was trying to dream while at the same time learning to lead. And, uh, and as we walked into the season of 2017, we saw that God never once flinched, Right? And so in light of that, I, I wish to just look at a few things. I wish to communicate some of these things to you. You may have not known about a lot of these things that are going on behind the scenes. Uh, and, uh, and, and if you were at our last members meeting, uh, you may have heard some of these. And if you haven't, then awesome. I get to, I get to share them with you this, this morning. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's important because normally up here I, I, I preach and I teach. Today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach and preach, if that makes any sense. Uh, and so here, here are just a few things, and these are in no particular order, but they have everything to do with you, but they're not about you, right? So number one, the, the first thing was salvations. Even in the midst of uncertainty, what, what we saw God do was what only he can do, and that is take a heart of stone and uh, exchange it with a heart of flesh. And we saw salvations in the fall of 2017. Two of our students in our student ministry submitted their lives to Jesus. And so that was wonderful. And then uh, a couple of months before that, we saw at least one of, uh, one of uh, our, 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 he's not a college dude because he's graduated, but he's in his 20s. I don't know what that is. He's a young professional, right? So he's a young professional and he's here and I'm not going to look at him. So I'm going to keep on moving because then he'll know I'm talking about him. So where he, he submitted his life to Jesus where six to seven months ago, he didn't know who Jesus was. And now at his school, he leads uh, an FCA group right? That is at his junior high. And so we saw salvations happen behind the scenes and not so much on Sundays. And Sundays are amazing and Sundays are wonderful, but this is the start of the week. And the, the, the amazing happens in the daily and in the ordinary. These are your Monday through Saturday things. That's, that's when we see God at work. And so we saw salvations happen. And yes, we're going to have baptisms soon, but before getting there, we saw lives transformed. We are seeing lives transformed. The second thing, and I'm going to go briefly through this, the second thing is uh, community and, uh, and, and relationships. 
Man, I, I was very uh, just encouraged where a year ago we had, I think we only had about, I think we had one community group. And as of this past fall, we had six community groups. And so we saw people plugged in to community. And, and for us, community is such a value. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's an incredible value because it's a cultural value here in the Valley and in McAllen in particular. Uh, you can go right now uh, to, to Municipal Park and you can go to a few other areas and someone is getting ready for a barbecue and someone is taping blue and pink balloons to their mailbox, right? Because uh, the family's coming over in a little bit and we got to crank the fire and we just got to go really big for this one, uh, you know, the last day before we go to school. It it matter, we turn it into a holiday in the valley. And so, so because of that, everybody's getting together and it's a cultural value. And so as a church, we saw a little over 50% of, of our church involved in community. And that was not just in community groups, but that was in Bible studies and other weekly gatherings. That's, that's awesome. That's wonderful uh, because we see people doing life together, sharpening one another and growing in relationship with one another. Additionally, you as, as, as the congregation are responsible, and I'll, and I'll touch on this very briefly because I want to touch on this toward the end, you're responsible for this thing that we call Reaching Wide, where we got to partner once again with Compassion International and sponsor kids in Guatemala and develop relationships, not just locally uh, here in the Arts District and with uh, Wilson Elementary, but beyond the walls of McAllen, right? And I'll, and I'll touch on that in, in just a bit. Uh, I think this is number, number three. This is the one I want to park in for a little bit. Volunteers. And what I mean by volunteers, I mean servant leaders. That they lead by serving. Right? We have such awesome servant leaders. And I get to be a part of one of those teams. Uh, guys like Izzy and Everett, who's leading our production. Uh, guys like, like James and Sean, who lead various ministries. And JC, who leads our kids. And amongst other servant leaders, what we saw is people step up and into roles where they were going to lead the church by serving. And what is so wonderful about them is that they are so devoted to the church that they serve by leading you voluntarily and sacrificially. When we're looking at Sunday mornings, this is put together by our servant leaders. When we're looking at things that happen throughout the week, it is done by servant leaders who are pouring into you as the church, investing their time, their energy, their resources, their money into serving you, to equip you, to care for you, to love you, uh, and ultimately uh, to, to, to serve and keep going, meeting the needs of the church. And I'm incredibly thankful for you. And then the last one, financially, this is, again, this is all 2017. And so before jumping into some specifics in terms of finances, I would say as your, as your pastor, as your brother, as your, as your friend, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithful generosity, right? In the, in the middle of not sure or not knowing or being uncertain at what was going to happen and how things were going to unfold, uh, here, here's a, a quick snapshot of what got to happen. About 6% of our budget, of our 2017 budget, went directly to church planting and church planting efforts. Our small church got to fund other churches within the Acts 29 church planting network that we are a part of. That means men were being assessed and trained to 
to go out and plant churches. 6% of that also went to church planting efforts where we, our leadership, got to invest and raise up and pour into other men uh, and women as they get to go and plant churches in various parts of Texas and the United States. Additionally, and I say that because that's such a big deal, but additionally, as we were walking into 2018, and I mentioned this at our, at our, at our members meeting, but as we were walking into 2018, over $44,000 was rolled over into 2018, and 20% of our 2018 budget is immediately going back into ministries. That is to equip you, the church. That is to raise leaders. That is for missional efforts. That is for church planting. That is to do the thing that we have been called to do, and that is to make disciples and ultimately to glorify God. So thank you so much for your generous, your generosity and your faithfulness. Um, and so those are just, that's just a quick snapshot of, of 2017. But now we find ourselves in 2018. And so the question or questions are, okay, so now, now what? And so as we walk into 2018 and as we find ourselves here this morning, we're going to seek to answer three questions. And remember, this is more teaching and then a little bit of preaching. <clears throat> and so as we look at 2018, here are the three questions that I'm ultimately going to unpack and answer this morning. And so the first one is, what is the mission of our church? As we walk into 2018, the first question must be, what is the mission of our church? And ultimately, this question is simply answering or asking, what do we do as a church? Right? Like, what do we do? Cool, we gather at the McAllen Creative Incubator. That's so hipster. And we uh, have some really good coffee. Very awesome. And, and, but what do we do? The second question that we're going to answer is, how do we accomplish that mission? This is uh, what that looks like. So once we know what we do, well, what does it look like? And then finally, and I think most importantly, uh, the last question is, so why does any of this matter? As we unpack the mission, as we unpack how we accomplish that mission, I think the big and significant question is, so why does any of this matter? Right? That's going to be the big question. And so these three questions, what they seek to do, and this is how my mind works, what it seeks to do, what they seek to do is to provide you and us with clarity. I love having direction because then I know what to do and how I can do it, which means I can better understand my role. And if I better understand my role, I become a little bit more productive and a little bit more effective. Maybe you are the same way. If you have a lack of clarity, you find yourself frustrated because you're just going in different directions and you're shooting from the hip. And that's not really something you like to do. I hate shooting from the hip, right? And so I want to have clarity. And so my job here this morning is to provide you with clarity. And so uh, let, me, let me just start. Here's the first question. So what is the mission of our church? This is the mission that we find ourselves in that God has called us to. It seems lengthy, but it is not. And it's, in fact, quite simple. So the mission of the church is simple. It is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus by demonstrating and declaring the gospel to the heart of McAllen. That's it. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus, by demonstrating and declaring the gospel to the heart of McAllen. Period. That's it. Now, if you have our app on the notes, what you'll see is that I, I, uh, I don't know, what, what's the cry? I emboldened? Is that a word, Holly? No, it's not a word. It's my word. I emboldened some things. I don't know if that's a word. Um, 
You know, I mean, Shakespeare invented the word assassinate, and I forgot what else. So if he can do it, um, I'm not suggesting anything. Uh, so our mission is, is a, we're at, let's get back to the Bible. Our mission is simple, to glorify God by making disciples, by declaring and demonstrating the gospel to the heart of McAllen. So if you look at the notes, several uh, words in that statement are, are in bold. I'll say it that way. They are in bold because if you're like, man, I can't memorize that. I'm not sure what that means. But there are a few key words in there that are significant, namely to glorify God and to make disciples. In fact, we have such an incredible value and premium on making making disciples, that it was the last thing and the one thing Jesus told the disciples to do. And in fact, my, 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 my thought process, my conviction on making disciples is that if we are not making disciples, then by definition, according to Matthew 28, we are not a church. That's heavy. If we are not making disciples, and according to Matthew 28 and the words Jesus gave to the disciples, we are not a church. We just gather on Sundays and it ends there. Right? Our goal is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. How we do that? By declaring the gospel and by demonstrating the gospel in our city. Does that make sense? That is ultimately the mission of our church. That is why we exist and that is what our mission is. And so now, naturally, the next question is, got it, make disciples, glorify God. So how do we do that? How, how do I do that on Tuesdays? How, how do I do that on, on Friday mornings? And so here at Storehouse, we, we do that. We accomplish that mission three different ways. Now, what's beautiful about each one of these things is that they overlap with one another. Right? And this is language that we have adopted uh, late last fall that you're not going to only hear it for the first time here today. You may have already heard it and you're going to hear it even more because we're going to push this because we believe so wholeheartedly that this is the mission that God has given our church. And so as I go into this and we look at these three elements, these three, you know, uh, these three elements, these three ways in which we accomplish this mission. I, I mentioned something earlier today, uh, but I'll, I'll say it one more time. As we look at these three things, you'll notice that this, all of these things are, are for you because you will, you will be involved in this. You will literally be on mission, but none of this is about you. And, and so the goal of these is not only to be on mission, but most significantly to adopt a posture of humility. That's what's going to carry these three elements, these three ways, these three strategies, whatever it is you want to call them. And so let's look at the first one. The first one is reaching wide. And what I've done is I've attached scripture to each one of these to better emphasize um, uh, some clarity regarding each one of these. So the first one is reaching wide. And so we begin in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus tells the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the the end of the earth. Jesus says that we will be his witnesses, which means our lives exist to reflect his glory. 
Our lives aim to point people to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, as per uh, Acts 1 verse 8 at the beginning, if you belong to Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Which means not only do you have the power to say no and to reject sin, but as a responsibility, your, uh, your life means that it is to reflect the character of God and to bring him glory in all that we do. And that includes all that we do in McAllen and all that we do beyond McAllen. Right? And so for us, practically reaching wide means that we desire to develop existing and new relationships and partnerships that are rooted in being faithful stewards of our finances, of our resources, and our gifting. Very simply, and again, very, very practically, what we've done is we have chosen um, not a large amount of avenues to, to do things, to be on mission or to get connected. We've chosen a small amount of avenues to get involved in on purpose so that they would be rooted in faithfulness. And for us, missionally, what that means in McAllen is that we desire to develop relationships with the art district. That includes the McAllen Creative Incubator and all the wonderful tenants that are here. That includes small businesses that are opening up. That also includes Wilson Elementary. That's just to the north of us. We desire to develop those relationships. We desire to establish new relationships, right? What it means for us domestically, and again, some of you may not necessarily know this, right? We desire to continue to grow relationships at the University of Montana. That's what? Okay, so let me kind of backtrack, right? You, you the church, right? We, we help support missionaries at the University of Montana who are working alongside a college ministry called InterVarsity. Some of you got to meet these missionaries last summer. Their names are JJ and Casey Johnson. They serve with InterVarsity at the University of Montana where there is a large international student population where they are investing in these students and sharing the gospel of Jesus with these students so that as these students go back to their home country, they go back as missionaries and evangelists. Right? And so we're developing relationships with them. And so what does that mean? That we don't just want to send them money, but what we are seeing is every other year, they're going to be sending a team of students down to the valley so we can educate them on tacos. And then what we're going to do is take a team to Montana to evangelize, right? Never been to Montana. I don't know what it's like. Should be interesting. But nevertheless, we look to uh, grow those relationships. Internationally, you have already seen that we're planning a trip to Guatemala because we have two missionaries that are on the ground already in Guatemala, preaching and teaching and serving local churches down there. And so we're developing a relationship with them. You're going to meet them in April. We want to partner with other networks within our network, specifically Acts 29 Latin America, where there are church plants right now happening throughout all of Mexico. I mean, it's 
right next door to us. So we want to pour into people there, not just send finances, but we want to send them resources. We want to help develop them. We want to help, uh, uh, we want to help develop them. We want to help to invest them. We want to be faithful stewards of our gifting. That is all reaching wide. That is missional, not just locally, but all the way that we go internationally. And the purpose behind this is to make disciples. The purpose behind this is to develop people here so that we send you out. We send you out financially. We send you out with resources. We send you out equipped. And when it comes specifically to mission and specifically to reaching wide, finances are what fund that. And so when you give, all of these finances go towards these efforts. That's reaching wide. So that's, that's a big one. The second way in which we accomplish our mission is by drilling deep. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.8. This is one of my favorite verses. And so Paul writes, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. I'm basically going to repeat it, but why I love this so much is because Paul is saying, not only did we come sharing the gospel, but we literally gave you our lives. That they gave their lives to one another. Ultimately, what we see even in Acts is that they devoted themselves to one another. This was the encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, and this is what the church was doing in Acts chapter 1. The first century church, uh, Scripture says that they devoted themselves to one another and the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and prayers and fellowship. They devoted themselves to one another. And so when we, when we see that, when we see that Paul is saying that he gave his own life to the church, when we see in Acts 2 that the church devotes itself to one another, this isn't for the first century church. This isn't the way they did church. I believe this is the way they did church and how church is supposed to be. I believe that's the way church is supposed to be, that we are to devote ourselves to one another. All right? And so what that means for us practically is that we desire to teach and preach sound biblical theology so that we would have a firm and clear understanding of the gospel. I've said it before, I'll say it again, what you believe shapes how you live. Theology matters. It matters. That's not to say that some people have handled it poorly. That's not to say that some people have even abused it. That is sadly true. And theology still matters because what you believe shapes how you live. We can go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis to see how significant theology was. Theology is the study of the Word of God, what God has said. And so what we see in Genesis, right, God says, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, and in Genesis, God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat everything, just don't eat of this, this tree. When you do, you will surely die, right? That's what he says, okay? That is the Word of God communicated to those in which he has created. And then what happens at the beginning of chapter 3? The serpent comes and goes to Eve and says, did God actually say? That's a theological distinctive. He is challenging Eve on what God has said. Theology matters. Okay? 
And so that means we're going to discuss tough topics. That means we're going to go verse by verse and book by book. And sometimes we're going to do uh, topical sermons. But the goal of it is to teach sound biblical theology. Additionally, for us, it means that we're going to cultivate and provide avenues to cultivate deep friendships and relationships with one another. For us, we do that one of two ways. We do it through community groups. We do it through our student ministry. We do it through women's ministry. Those are small avenues, and we do it like that on purpose so that we're intentional and we're faithful with what we have in front of us. I, I seriously, and I've tell, I told this to our staff, I don't want to be the church that has 15 different things and we do them poorly. I would much ha- rather have two, three, four things and do them ridiculously well and grow in them and learn from them. Another way in which we cultivate relationships and another way in which we cultivate equipping is through equipping classes. And this is, yeah, some of them are going to be walking through theological doctrines. Some of them are practical. Man, what to do as a new parent. Some of them are going to be on marriage. Some of them are going to be on budgeting and finances. Some of you need help with accounting. Um, <laughs> I'm not thinking about anybody specific, by the way. But uh, where was I? Equipping classes. So equipping class, right? Those are the two avenues that we do it through community groups and through equipping classes. We want to drill deep theologically and relationally. Okay. All right. Here's the third one. The third one is, is raising up. And so I've, I've, I could have done a lot on this, but, uh, or I, excuse me, I could have referenced a lot of scriptures and I referenced one. This is Acts chapter six, verse three and seven. And so he writes, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute that have a good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Let me give you a little bit of context. So the first church, uh, we see them growing. God is adding numbers to the first church. Uh, and, and so we come to Acts chapter six and the church is growing and so are the needs. And the apostles who are preaching and teaching and praying cannot keep up with the needs of the church. And so what they do is they appoint seven people to take care of the needs of the church. Now, what I find so interesting about that, and I'll go into a mini sermon, what I find so interesting about that is the seven men whom they chose were men who were educated, were men who were uh, successful. And what were they chosen to do? Make sandwiches to meet the needs of widows. That's what they were chosen to do. They were full, they had a good reputation, they were full of the Spirit, and they had wisdom. And so what we see is that the apostles, uh, the apostles, excuse me, they, they developed and they delegated responsibilities to this, to this group. And what we see in verse 7 is as there was a delegated responsibility, more and more people's needs were met. And as more and more people's needs were met, that means disciples were added to their already growing church. That, that was the result. More people were developed. More people were raised up. People were given responsibility. The needs were being met for the church. And more disciples were added on the daily. What does that mean for us practically? Right? For us, that means that as a small church, we have the opportunity and the privilege to invest and develop leaders. 
to invest and develop leaders. Uh, part of my job is, is elder development. Here at Storehouse, we believe that, that the office of elder pastor is reserved specifically for men. And you saw Sean up here last week getting his preach on, working on his chops. He does that behind the scenes as well. Once a month, we work through some things. And he is one of two men who are in the elder candidacy. And so that is one way that we develop people. Now, what I love about the elder candidacy, I think I'm going fast. What I love about the elder candidacy, <laughs> what I love about the elder candidacy is that, and I'm, I'm going to brag on them, um, they were already doing ministry. They were already doing ministry without any kind of candidacy or potential title. That's what I love about those men, Right? They were already serving their families. They were uh, already uh, failing and repenting. They were already meeting the needs of the church. Behind the scenes and on, on, uh, throughout the week. And so God has called them into potential pastoral ministry. And so they find themselves in an elder candidacy. So that's one avenue. Additionally for us, uh, we have something called the Deacon Academy. And for us here at Storehouse, we believe that the office of deacons is open to both men and women. And so we're going to have one later on this year. But ultimately what deacon means, the literal translation is servant. Now here's, if you don't know who the deacons are in this church, that's very common because they all hate being called out. They are behind the scenes people and they're giving me looks to not point them out right now, right? So when it comes to deacons, right, deacons are the ones that meet the needs of the church without being asked to meet the needs of the church. They just get it done, right? They are buffers. They are people who meet the needs. They serve in various capacities. They do a lot of different things and it's not just on Sundays, Right? Those, are, those are deacons. You can read about them in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Additionally, for us, uh, that also means that we want to develop uh, community group leaders. Right? As, as I mentioned earlier, we had uh, quite a, a great percentage of people, amount of people involved in community groups. But as we continue to grow and as we continue to mature, that means we need community group leadership. That means that we need to invest in other people and develop them and raise them up so that they would be sent out to small parts of their city serving you. Same thing goes for Sunday morning teams. The same thing goes for women's ministry. We want to develop and equip and raise leaders within the church. And what I'll say about, I want to harp on Sunday morning teams. They do such an amazing job. And I have such a heart for Sunday morning teams because it reminds me very much of, of me starting on Sunday morning teams. Right? I started off as the setup guy. And I was one of three dudes. And we put up chairs and lifted speakers every single Sunday. And then I got to serve on our safety team. And then from our safety team, I got to do, uh, you know, like lead teams and stuff like that. And all of that helped me in my brief career as a department head for the city of McAllen. I believe that's the way it's supposed to be, that the church is supposed to develop leaders, that the church is supposed to be a hub for leadership development so that as you go out into the world, you develop those skills here, Right? I'll blow up on him. I get to blow up on people today. This is really cool. I get to like, blow up on my son and some of the other guys, uh, all the, the students who are, actually all the guys and the one girl who are in student ministry. Right? I, get, I, get to, I get to blow them up because they're all a part of the production crew. They're led by a guy named Everett. He's behind the scenes. 
Don't worry about it, right? So, <laughs> uh, and so, so they're led by Everett. And uh, I think the youngest is 12. The oldest one is 17. And so they handle a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment every single Sunday. And they're knocking out the slides and they're doing some lighting stuff. And they're behind computers. I believe that's where it's supposed to start. So that when he goes into high school or when he goes into college or does whatever, and they ask him, man, how do you know how to do some of these skills? How do you have, um, you know, how, how are you such a good team member, I hope, right? Uh, or team player. Oh, man, I, I learned that at my church. I, I learned that here. I believe that's where it all starts. I believe that's where it starts even for our kids and kids ministry with JC as, as JC invests in them, as they get to teach the children's, as they get to disciple them, Right? I believe it all starts here. Additionally, I've given you a lot of uh, ministerial type of examples. And when it comes to raising up, I don't want it to simply be about leadership development, although that is a significant piece of it, as you can clearly tell. I also want husbands to thrive. I want husbands to lead well. I want husbands to lead sacrificially. I want fathers to invest into their children. I want to see wives love and respect their husbands dearly. I want to see moms love their children unconditionally, teaching them about forgiveness and so many other things. I wish to see you thrive in your family. We have a huge value on raising up leaders, but not only in the context of ministry, but in the context of your own home. We want, I, I, I want that. I want to see men lead sacrificially. I want to see women love unconditionally. That's what our aim is as we're looking at raising up. So it's not only in the context of ministry. And I'll tell you why, right? Do you know what happens when we don't invest? Whether it's ministry, whether it's at the home. Do you know what happens when we don't invest? Relationships die. That's a really good one. Here's what happens. Nothing. Nothing happens when you don't invest. Nothing happens. And I'm going to take you to Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Now, as we visit that, <clears throat> let me give you context. This is about Joshua, the son of Nun. You, maybe you've read his book, the book of Joshua, right? And so what we see at the beginning of Joshua, and I'm, I'm going to go very quickly on this. What we see at the beginning of Joshua is we see God come to Joshua and say, Mo, this is paraphrased, so don't think this is how it's written. So we see God come to Joshua, and he says, Moses is dead, you're up. You've fought, in the long, you've fought alongside of him, you've been developed by him, you're ready to go. And so what we see is Joshua take this mantle of leadership, and he leads God's people into many battles and is successful many of those times. Through the second half of Joshua, what we see is that he has been so victorious that he begins to give an inheritance of land. Joshua is the guy, if that sounds foreign to you, Joshua is the guy that said at the end of, of uh, I think it's chapter 9, uh, he says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's a pretty common quoted verse, right? And so that's what Joshua did, and that's who Joshua was. Farmer turned general, right? And was invested in by Moses. Judges chapter 2 records his death and what happened afterward. 
So let's go to there before I, before I talk more about that. Here we go. Uh, yeah, Judges 2, verses uh, 8 through 10. And so uh, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harry's in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered for their fathers. Here it is. Here it is. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's what happened after Joshua died. Nothing. The next generation that came up knew nothing about what God had done, knew nothing about what God uh, did, and knew nothing about who God is. When we don't invest, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And so if you want a meta-narrative, if you want something that connects uh, reaching wide, drilling deep, and raising up, it's discipleship. And discipleship is messy. And discipleship isn't necessarily a process. And discipleship is hard. And discipleship means that you've got to be vulnerable because that means in relationships you're going to be vulnerable. And discipleship is for you, but it's not about you. And it's the mission that God has called us to. Because when you don't invest, not a thing happens. Things die. That's what happens when you don't invest. And so the, the, the underlying theme of these three strategies, these three ways, is discipleship. It's investment. It's doing exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do to make disciples. Right? And so the final question in all of this is the question that, uh, that I think is the most important. Right, investment, uh, building up, or raising up, and reaching wide, and drilling deep. Great, I got it. The mission, glorify God, make disciples. I got it. Why does any of this, why does any of this matter? Well, let's look back once more at one, Psalm 115. Now we're finally at Psalm 115. That's the introduction of the sermon. I'm just kidding. Here we go. I'm going to read it one more time, and we're going to dive into that, that question. Why does this all matter? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. All right, this is where I get to preach, right? This all matters because we exist and were created to bring God glory. That is why all of this matters. That was the plan from the very beginning to be a reflection of the character of God and all that we were given to steward, to be a tool and a vessel for God to accomplish His will, that as His children, we would get to see our Father do what only He can do and then get to boast about Him. That is why we do all of this to bring glory to God and not ourselves, which is why it is significantly important to adopt a posture of humility. We are not a perfect church, and sadly, she doesn't exist, but we do serve a perfect God who uses broken and ordinary people and restores them to himself and does extraordinary things through them for his glory and fame. 
You see, the beauty of the gospel is that God has patiently and aggressively been pursuing you and to show you the cost of that pursuit while we were still sinning, He sent His Son to die on a cross for sinners, paying our penalty and our debt with His own blood so that we might be called His prized possession. We desire to see more people come to know Jesus where He is impossible to ignore where he is revealed through the church. And so church, as we walk into 2018, I implore you, I beg you, I beseech you, let us make the cry of this year the words of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, Lord, Lord, my prayer is that we would is that we would be reminded that we exist and have been created to bring you and you alone all the glory. To make your name famous in our city and beyond its walls. You have called us through your Son to make disciples so that more and more people would come to know your Son Jesus so that your Son Jesus would be impossible to ignore. And as we continue our time in worship, Lord, let that be the cry of our hearts There's going to be challenges that we're going to face in light of that mission, in light of how that affects us, not just corporately, but individually. We're going to face those challenges. But Lord, I pray that we would cling tightly to your word and your promises. I pray that you would convict us, compel us, and challenge us on our sin so that we would repent so that we would repent to see our need for you, to see how great you are, and so that we would be reminded of only what you can do, and that is changing a heart made of stone into a heart of flesh. Let that be the cry of our hearts. Let John's, final, uh, let John's words be the cry of our soul, that we must decrease and you must increase. Lord, none of this, the the mission and how we accomplish that, none of this is possible apart from your Holy Spirit dwelling and working in and through us. So let us be a church that holds fast to your word. Let us be a church. Let us be a church that is um, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And let us be a church that is faithful with little so that maybe one day we would be faithful with much. And Lord, in this time, we transition into tithes and offerings. And this is where we give you our stuff. 
This is where we relinquish control that we think we have. This is where we give financially, um, and we give sacrificially, we give generously, and we give faithfully. And we give for several reasons, to, to testify uh, at what you're doing in our lives and to show that this, that church, that how we do what we're going to do is bigger than us. And so this is where we give you our stuff. And in a short moment, as we go into communion, this is where we give you our sin, where only you can transform us, where only you can pardon us, and where we're reminded that we have been forgiven. So Lord, continue to lead us in worship. Please continue to be effective uh, and at work in our hearts this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.